that that was kind of my first draft. Yeah. All of a sudden, Finch is in the hospital. Right, right. So Bud and I are just the two of us. Yeah. But Bud sat there, and uh, I was doing my little thing with the charts I had and drafting these guys. And draft turned out pretty good. I'd say so. Good evening, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Skull Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wabshaw, inside TCO Studios at Winter Park. Lots to get to in the show tonight. I'm really excited about our guest. It's Jerry Reichow. We're going to get to him in a minute. But first, a word on your current Minnesota Vikings. They're red hot. They're in first place. And they play in a couple days. They play the Detroit Lions on Thursday. The game is at 11.30 a.m. Central Time. So a little fun before you get your Thanksgiving Day festivities going on Thursday. Make sure you're there for the boom. Voice of the Vikings, Paul Allen, Pete Bursich, Greg Coleman, and Ben Lieber will bring you the call. And, of course, Mike Musman will be hosting the pregame show. All of that on the Vikings Radio Network. That is the state of your current Minnesota Vikings. But this is Skull Stories. And what we do on Skull Stories is we take a walk down memory lane and analyze a person or an event that is significant to Vikings history. And tonight it's Jerry Reichow, and there aren't many more people more intimately involved in the Minnesota Vikings organization and Vikings history than Jerry Reichow. Let me explain before you hear from Jerry yourself. Jerry was on the very first Vikings team back in 1961. But before that, he was a star at the University of Iowa. He's from Iowa. He left the Hawkeye program as the all-time leader in total offense, and he also guided the Iowa Hawkeyes basketball team to the Final Four. So he's one of those guys that's good at everything he does. Eventually got drafted into the NFL by the Detroit Lions, where in his first season he helped the Lions win a title as a backup quarterback and receiver. Eventually he moved on to the Philadelphia Eagles in 1960, and he helped the Eagles win an NFL title as well. His tie to the Vikings begins there, because when he played for the Eagles, he played with Norm Van Brocklin, who was also a player on that team. After the 1960 season, Norm Van Brocklin retired and became the Vikings head coach. The first head coach in Vikings history, Van Brocklin brought his buddy, Jerry Reichow, as a player to the Vikings, and Reichow was a star tight end. He caught 11 touchdowns and 50 passes from Fran Tarkenton in Tarkenton's rookie season of 1961. So a very significant place in Vikings history for Jerry Reichow as a player alone. Then he retired and he joined the Vikings front office in 1966 where he has been ever since. Reichow was the director of player personnel for a time. Then he was the head of football operations. He was the assistant GM in the 90s, and he's now a personnel consultant. So Jerry Reichow is the authority on all things Vikings since the franchise's inception in 1961. So it's a treat to talk to Jerry. He's got a wealth of knowledge, and he has a ton of experience with the Vikings. We got to draw upon that last spring in a conversation with him, and we're going to share that conversation with you right now on Skull Stories. Here's Jerry Reichow. A living legend in Vikings history, Jerry Reichow, and we're sitting and chatting with someone who's seen every draft in Vikings history and someone who has drafted himself 
even before that. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. You bet. I'm not real busy upstairs here. So. Well, I mean, that's because all your work is done. You've already put all your work all right. in. Right. Draft day is when is when you guys just sit and watch how it falls. Right. So it's yeah, the work is what they work year round now. It didn't was noise that way before. It so. wasn't, huh? No, no. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of things that are different about it, and uh, not not better or worse, but just different about the whole process, right? Yeah, very much so. He didn't even, uh, first of all, when I got involved, I was the only one. There was no scouts, so it yeah. was, uh, we joined the scouting combine, so yeah. that helped a lot. Yeah, and things that are commonplace now in the process um, weren't in place um, when you were starting or, or you helped start. I mean, Blesto, the combine you mentioned. When they asked me to to scout, they fired me from playing and hired me to scout. Well, let's go back a little bit before that to your playing days. Explain to us, you know, what what your career was like and how it went. Well, back then it was uh, the assistant coaches did most of the scouting because you hardly ever saw the team might have one scout, but uh, mm. they just weren't around. But I, my the year I was a senior, I played in the uh, senior bowl. And our coach was Buddy Parker, who was the Detroit line coach. And, okay. and you wind up, you end up playing with the first head coach in Vikings history, correct? Norm Van Brocklin. Yeah, yes. What do you remember about that? Uh, he was different than a lot of coaches. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. he was very uh, great one-liners, but you didn't want to be the recipient of those yeah. one-liners. <laughs> but he was, no, he was a competitive guy, brilliant offensive mind. and. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was, uh, you had to challenge him right away or boy, he'd pick on you all the right. time, which right. he did to some guys. And a lot of guys didn't really care for him, but they all respected his, uh, his knowledge of the game. So. And then of course you, you are around in the early stages of Vikings history, uh, mm -hmm. you know, building a team and the franchise is, is getting off the ground. Yep. What do you remember about those days? It was, uh, it was different. No office had to go down to the North American Life Insurance Building, where, <laughs> and then they had it over here, uh, Southdale. Yeah, and uh, so it was different. You know, there's only five, six of us people working. So when you were in the middle of it, could you sense it growing and ballooning, and sense the direction? Well, when I was, uh, I think it was '62 or three, I was the player rep, and we had a meeting down in Florida. All of a sudden, here come three gentlemen from ABC, NBC, and CBS, and they started talking, and I'm like, whoa, TV is going to be running our league, and sure enough, it did eventually, and that, all the money and everything came after that. So Yeah, and, and you know, that's a double-edged sword. I'm sure it created a lot of um, change and maybe um, consternation, but it's also been good for the game. Right? Oh, it's uh, some heavy pockets walking around now, these yeah, guys, yeah. And, which they didn't have back then. But, uh, but you know, that everything fits, and TV is so popular, that it, and football is kind of a made-for-TV sport, so yeah. it really helps. Yeah, and I know right off the bat, I you know refer to you as a, a living legend in Vikings history, and, and maybe you're uncomfortable with that, um, you know, with that yeah. distinction. But it's true, and, and you worked with others 
uh, played with others and worked with others who are also um, of that status. And, and I think one of them is Bud Grant. Yeah, uh, the greatest guy to work with ever for, uh, for me. Because you could make a bad choice, and we all make them. Never, ever brought it up. Never brought it up. And uh, uh, certainly could have, but he, he was, he's the best observer of people I've ever seen. He can tell you things, and he never doesn't talk much. But all of a sudden, he'll say something, and I'm thinking, well, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> and that player over there that we're watching, he, he sees everything. He doesn't talk a lot, but sees everything. Yeah. And f fun to work with, because you do your job, and that's it. So when you have a, a personality like that with young players, um, but yet those young players still uh, really embrace the coach, is that a hard balance to draw? Uh, well, he was... First of all, he's different than any other coach that I knew. He didn't have to holler at you. All he had to do was look at you and go, oh, my God, what did I do wrong now, yeah. you know? He's got those steely eyes, and uh, and those players just, boy, they snapped to attention. He he just, it just uh, emanated from him. He's, I'm the head man, and everybody yeah. knows it, and you get in line. So, yeah. And we had some. Really good players uh, that, that uh, would back him up, Jim Marshall and guys like that. Love to play for him. Yeah, and, yeah. and I want to ask you about some of those guys too. I mean, Jim Marshall. Maybe we'll start with him. You know, uh, Coach Grant um, almost gets emotional whenever he talks about Jim Marshall. Great guy. Yeah, I kind of boycott the Hall of Fame simply because he's not in it. Yeah, it's very upsetting to me and see some of the guys I, that team in 57 in Detroit when we won, we had, I think, seven or eight Hall of Famers on them. And Marshall's not in, I, can't, I just can't believe that. Yeah, and you know, if you look at just um, accolades, you know, that, that can be a shallow way to look at it. You need to look deeper um, into the impact a player had. So can you tell us a little bit about, beyond just the All-Pros all well, I mean, or Pro Bowls, what did Jim do that was so great? He was our, he was our team leader, on, particularly on defense. But if anything happened, uh, Jim would tell the coach, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And sure enough, and it happened more than once. Uh, that's when the black-white thing back in the 60s was going on, and we had a couple of players that were having some problems, and Jim just, whoosh, no more problems. And uh, he just, and he was, our, he was our leader, and of course, offense, we had Tarkenton and a bunch of tingle off in those guys, but, but Jim was, the leader, I thought. Okay, we're up against a break right now. We are going to come back with more from Jerry Reichow, but before we go, I want to give you a programming note. Join host Mike Musman along with Vikings legend John Randall at Sunshine Factory in Plymouth tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. And for more from Jerry Reichow, please stay tuned. Hey everyone, it's Wabi back with more Skull Stories tonight and our conversation with Jerry Reichow in a minute. But first, be the first to know breaking Vikings news, access video on demand, and get ticket alerts all on your phone with the Minnesota Vikings app. Download today in the App Store and Google Play. Speaking of apps, the Minnesota Vikings and K-Fan Radio have teamed up to create the all-new Vikings channel 
on the iHeartRadio app. To hear exclusive interviews and breakdowns of your favorite team, download the free iHeartRadio app and search Minnesota Vikings. You find that Vikings channel, you can catch up on past editions of Skull Stories. You can hear the Wobcast, my weekly podcast. You can hear our press conferences and so much more. So make sure you go check that out. All right, more from Jerry Reichow coming up right now. There's another person I want to ask you about, Freddie Zambrelletti. Freddie goes back way back to my Iowa days. That's right. We went to school together down there, and he was a couple of years ahead of me. But when we started the Vikings, I had played with Van Brocklin the year before down in Philadelphia. And so he called me and asked me if I'd put in a good word for him, and mm-hmm. it did. And I don't know if that meant anything, but he got the job. So Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's the great part about that part of Vikings history and where we are now is we're lucky enough to still have these individuals here to hear their stories and yeah. have them share their perspective. Yeah. Jim Marshall does it often, and Freddie still does it. Freddie knows everything. He's kind of yeah. like Bud was. Bud sees everything, but Fred does too. Right. From down, you know, down here in the training room, and uh, he can tell you a lot of stories probably shouldn't be told. But, right. Yeah. And isn't isn't that um, part of the deal with a trainer? Is the relationship with oh, the coach? Yeah. Right and management, but then. With the players. And the players, because you, you better get the players trust or you get yeah. a whole problem. Yeah. No, they love Freddie. Yeah. yeah. Um, another member of the uh, Iowa to Vikings pipeline is Burnsy, head Burnsy. coach, offensive coordinator Jerry Burns. I got to throw this in. We need more Hawkeyes around here. Yeah, okay. Well, we're starting to get them. I mean, yeah. We had a bunch of them here then. We, yeah. We had you know, Wally Hilgenberg and yeah. Kraus and mm-hmm. Bus Murdies and. <clears throat> Frank Gilliam, and we had a lot of Hawkeyes around. We were winning then, so let's get some more Might Hawkeyes. Might be something to that, right? Oh, yeah. We just had a great Hawkeye retire from the Vikings. Right. Chad Greenway. What right. do you remember about him? Because, I mean, because when he was coming up and we were drafting him and scouting him, you were obviously involved. Yeah, well, he was obviously one of the top linebackers coming out, and uh, he was a farmer's kid, and those kids work. They know how to work. He knows how to work. He worked very hard, and... Had great personality, and he's been a real plus for the Vikings. Yeah. Chad has, yeah. No doubt about it. Um, you know, back to Coach Burns. I know a lot of people talk about the West Coast offense and who invented it and who mastered it, but but Burnsy is one of those guys. He's early on. He yeah. had a whole lot of that going, yeah. yeah. In the same way with on defense, uh, that 46 defense that Buddy Ryan takes credit for and all that. Neil Armstrong actually put it in here before Buddy went down to the Bears. So okay. We had Carl Kosselke was playing that position. And, and, and that is kind of the way. It's cyclical, and people are using other yeah, people's ideas at different times. It's like the West Coast offense. Uh, I mean, a guy like Jerry Rice yeah. caught it perfect. Timing was perfect for him. Joe Montana was there. Walsh was the coach, just starting it. People were saying, what are they doing over there? <laughs> they throw yeah. all those little short passes, they turn long. And No, I mean, he, the timing for Rice and Montana for that reason was mm-hmm. really good. You know, we, we draft Dalvin Cook. We've signed Latavius Murray. Um, the Adrian Peterson era has, um, has come and gone, and we lived that, and it was, you know, awesome, quite yep. frankly, yep. one of the best yep. of all time. But Bill Brown. Your memories of him and what kind of player was, was he? Because you know, a lot of people maybe got to see him play and will love to hear you talk about him, but a lot also didn't get to see him play. Bill Brown was a much better athlete than probably people think. He's a good basketball player. Yeah. I mean, he didn't look like one, but he ran so low 
you're tackling a, a helmet. That's hard to tackle a yeah. helmet. And Billy was a, a hundred percenter. He and Dave Osborne together, they said, well, it's cold today. It's going to be a good day for us. Yeah. And Brownie and, and Ozzy would go out there and pound you. No, he was a great friend, a great worker, and a great leader. So. Yeah, and maybe another one of those guys that didn't get all the accolades and, you yeah, know, doesn't but, look like Canton will be calling him, but really was was important like a Hall of Famer is. Yeah, but back then it was a little different because you stayed on one team, yeah. you know. So we had this great leadership with Brownie and Marshall and Alderman and Tinglehoff, and they played a long time on the same team, which is you know, you come in here and well, we got all these leaders, so. Mm -hmm. With all that has changed over your career, yep. you know, you're still here and taking part and helping, observing the draft. What's yeah. the same? Just the players. You yeah. look at those guys, it's, they're, di they're different than they used to be, but they're still the better ones and the next ones. And well, this guy, you've got something going here yeah. and, and uh, you try to pick up on the that kind of stuff because they're all big and strong and they work on it the year round, which they didn't do back yeah. then. So you, before then you used to go to training camp to get in shape. Yeah, yeah, now you better be in shape before camp. Oh, yeah. and, and they got guys working with them year round and yeah. back then we had jobs in the off season and you go to training camp, my first training camp was two months long, so it's, <laughs> wow, it's, yeah. a, it's a grind. Yeah. yeah. The 1967 draft. Oh, that, that that was kind of my first draft. Yeah. I went through that other thing the year before, but that was, I hardly scouted at all. And mm -hmm. Bud came down mm -hmm. from Canada. He was here, and Finks all of a sudden Finks is in the hospital. Right, and he he's the decision maker essentially, right? Yeah, I mean he was the I mean, GM, and so and he goes into the hospital when the draft is starting, right? So Bud and I are just the two of us. <laughs> yeah. But I keep thinking about it. It's so much easier when you, you're the only one there. You make your choice. You've hit on one or you missed on one. And, yeah. you know, you got nobody to blame even. Yeah. But Bud sat there and uh, I was doing my little thing with the charts I had and drafting these guys. And draft turned out pretty good. I'd say so. And, but Bud must have liked it because he didn't fire me. So, well, I, th I think so, but I mean, talk about the you know the three players that you got who turned well, out to be outstanding players. Yeah, uh, well, the Michigan State and Notre Dame were they had the famous 10-10 tie. Yeah. I was at that game watching them play, and we got Clinton Jones, Gene Washington, and Alan Page on that. Pretty good all <laughs> on the same field, and uh, so we had some quality guys, and and uh, luckily we had three first-round picks to take them. Yeah. The other two were obviously what they were, but Page, when they were playing, they had Page way out at defensive end, in a, in a wide tackle six, they used to call it. And Damn, he can't get around him. He's almost standing on the sideline, you know. Yeah. But if I hadn't seen him in practice, how quick he was and explosive, I don't know if we'd have taken him, but because uh, we drafted him as a defensive end. We had Marshall and Eller, and so well, we'll move Eller inside. He, he said, I'm not going inside. <laughs> so we put Page out, so I put Page inside, and he was just built for that. I mean, he was so quick off the ball. And there you have the Purple People Eaters. We had the Purple People Eaters, yeah. And he kind of was the glue. 
Yeah. You know, talking about those things that stay the same, even in a constantly changing environment, you know, you talked about going to watch Notre Dame practice and seeing Alan Page in practice. Yep. It still comes down sometimes to that, but going the, and seeing a guy. It, yes. It, it's, uh, it was back then spring practice was tough, and that's the, when the coaches would come on in, yeah, and then in the fall they didn't want you around much, so it was, yeah. and you didn't see the same hitting like you saw in the, in the spring, and uh, so it was a good time to go to those places to, to uh, see these kids as they emerged, but uh, yeah, I'd, that's how we picked up on Page was in spring practice, mm -hmm. so it was, uh, and it's, the rest of them were a lot like that too, we just, we didn't have a whole big staff. I was the only scout, so <laughs> it was a, it was a, uh, it was just so much, so different now that all the big staff and all the equipment they have now. We used to carry a 16 millimeter projector around and hopefully get a tape when you when you went to the school. They because they didn't have many and the film would break and you know, oh man it was splice it together miserable yeah. yeah splice it and who spliced this film out <laughs> all ripped up and and it was uh, some schools particularly some of the smaller schools didn't take tapes didn't yeah. take films of the games at all so and hardly there weren't many of those kids coming out although you know the southeast conference in the south they they didn't allow blacks to play so yeah. You go to Grambling. I went to a Grambling Jackson State game one time. Walter Payton was at Jackson State. Uh, uh, Ricky Young was playing with him. Eddie Payton was there. They had a linebacker named Robertson. All top picks. Grambling had Sammy White. And, uh, wow. It was kind of like going to a Super Bowl. The, the stands were packed, and those people were having fun, and all those bands were out doing that yeah. stuff that they do, and the, even the referees were putting on a show. It was, it was great to go to that game. Yeah. All right. Well, we enjoyed our chat with you, so Good. thanks for taking a few minutes. Good. All right, okay. Vikings fans, you guys are awesome, not only because you are passionate about the current team, but you love Vikings history. It is rich in tradition, full of lots of good stories, and Jerry Reichow is one of the best stories in Vikings history, and you just got to hear from him tonight. So we're very appreciative of you taking the time to listen. On behalf of Skull Stories producer Nate Vaughn, who loves the University of Iowa and loved tonight's guest, I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw, signing off for now. Don't forget the Vikings play in two days on Thanksgiving, and it's a huge game against the Detroit Lions. You can hear that game right here and all across the Vikings radio network. Again, the boom is at 1130, so make sure you don't miss it. Thanks again for listening tonight. Until next time, see you later.